This episode of YXE Underground is supported by City Perks Coffee House and Sparrow Coffee in Saskatoon. Both are wonderful places to enjoy a coffee and a conversation in our city. I love my job and I think it uh, that makes a difference in just stepping back and saying, you know, I was part of, I have done what I needed to do to get to a place in my life to be part of that team and I really need to appreciate that. I need to appreciate what I've done, the work I've put in and where I'm, where, the opportunities I've, I've gotten and then kind of let it go. So you stay humble, but you stay appreciative of, of I stay appreciative of where I am and who I am and what I'm able to do. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to critical care paramedic and small business owner, Jen Rondeau. Jen is the feature guest in season three, episode seven of YXC Underground. Whether it's in the back of an ambulance here in Saskatoon or 30,000 feet above Saskatchewan, Jen Rondo's passion is caring for others. She shows her compassion in different ways as a critical care paramedic, but has also dealt with many challenges thrown her way due to COVID-19. Jen takes us to the front lines of the pandemic in this episode of YXE Underground. It was one year ago this week that COVID-19 arrived in Saskatoon. It was Juno week and I was so excited for not only the awards show, but the Juno Fest Music Festival. On the podcast front, we were rolling out a pair of episodes focusing on tourism, live music, and how they connected with the Junos. For Jen Rondeau, she was focusing on her job as a critical care paramedic with Medivy Health Services and was settling into a new business venture, the opening of her yoga studio, Ivy Yoga House. When COVID-19 became our new reality in Saskatoon, Jen, like everyone else, saw her life change. For more than a decade, Jen has been helping those in need. As a full-time critical care paramedic, she splits her time with road ambulance here in Saskatoon and with air ambulance, which takes her to all corners of the province at 300 miles per hour. COVID has presented Jen with challenges as a paramedic and as a business owner, which you'll hear in our conversation. What it hasn't changed is her character. The first thing that came to mind was her kindness and understanding. This is Adrienne Van Gool. Adrienne is a physiotherapist and one of the instructors at Ivy Yoga House. She's the owner and operator of Van Gool Wellness and appreciates how Jen cares for others. You know, when I, anytime I've had, I, I never felt uncomfortable or that any conversation was uh, too weird or uncomfortable to have or scared to have, you know, and especially her navigating a new business during COVID, there's a lot of tough conversations you have to have. And I didn't know her that well, but I feel like we from the beginning could have really real conversations. And I felt safe enough to say like, you know, what I needed. And um, she supported me 100%. So I would say kindness and understanding. Yeah. When I asked Jen to appear on the podcast, I mentioned how cool it would be to do the interview either in one of the air ambulance planes or a road ambulance. Jen was game and we met at the Medivy Health Services building in Saskatoon's Stonebridge area. She gave me a quick tour of the building and then opened the back doors to one of the ambulances in the building's garage. I've never done an interview in the back of an ambulance before, so I eagerly jumped in and got my gear set up. Just a heads up that you'll hear some ambulances backing up in the background and, and closing their doors throughout the episode. 
We cover a lot of ground in the first part of our conversation, how she felt on her first COVID-related call last year, how she dealt with praise coming from the community, and she shares some really incredible stories from high in the sky. The first thing I asked Jen was if she could describe the back of the ambulance. We've got everything we need to do any call that we're dispatched to. Uh, we've got a monitor, oxygen. We've got three kits here. So one is a pediatric kit specific, two pediatrics. One is a drug kit, um, IV supplies, and another is an airway airway, airway kit. Sorry. Um, so that's the stuff that we would bring into a call. And then once we get the patient in the back here, we've got a bin system in our cupboards that allows us to just pull from a bin um, if we need any supplies. And then at the end of the day, we just switch the bins out when we're restocking our trucks. We've got our stretcher. Um, yeah, I think all our batteries and IV pump, bedding. So it's it's like it's like your whole like every everything you need is just right back here. It is, yeah. And it might seem like a lot the first time you look at it, but if you compare it to the hospital, say, it's really nice that this is what we're limited to. This is this is what we need. This is all we need. And it's really easy to get familiar with and be very comfortable back here. <laughs> I, I have so many questions about your job, not only within the ambulance, but I, I want to ask about airplanes as well. Um, but like, I was thinking in terms of like um, how to get into what what your what your day looks like. But every day is is kind of different, isn't it? But I, I'm just wondering, Jen, if you could talk a little bit about um, maybe what the last year has been with your job, with the challenges of of COVID and 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 how maybe that's changed things for you? Yeah, I think uh, it's changed things in that there are, there's always ups and downs in, I think, pre-hospital medicine, um, but COVID created some really steep ups and downs. So we started COVID, uh, so last March really, it was kind of coming to Canada, coming to Saskatchewan, and we saw a really big high, I think, at that point, because everyone was prepare preparing. So the hospitals had room, we had staff, um, call volume was down at the time, uh, and everyone kind of praised healthcare workers. <laughs> and it wasn't necessary, it wasn't needed, it was humbling, it was a bit embarrassing, but you know, we were really celebrated. So we, we were on this high that none of us had really ever seen. And then as we progressed through COVID, he just hit some of these really big lows that none of us had ever seen either. Some of the hospital numbers was a big thing, like just, um, the hospitals got really busy again and maybe past what they were prior to COVID. We were short-staffed. We had an outbreak here at Medivy uh, amongst our paramedics that took big numbers of paramedics out for long periods of time and uh, lots of overtime and it was like the public kind of everybody um, really lost that <laughs> that interest in how healthcare workers were doing. And it was understandable, but it was, I feel like we went from a really big high to a really big low. So that we wouldn't have seen quite drastically prior to. What was that like for you personally to go from such a high to, to, to the lows? It's tough. Um, and it's, uh, you really need to find ways to kind of stay grounded and stay positive. Um, you still can find some positives in all of this. <laughs> it's tougher, but yeah, it was, I think that first little bit there was with the highs and lows was was a bit of a roller coaster and I think as time passed I mean we've been doing this for a year now you learn to just kind of try to stay centered grounded know that you know there are things coming that are going to be good in the future even if it's a bit tough right now so 
Um, you you said a word that I thought was interesting when when you said you know what when all this started um, and you were receiving the praise and you said it was it was a bit embarrassing. Why why yeah. was Jen? Why was it embarrassing for you? Uh, I don't know. I think we are all we were all just doing our jobs. We've been doing the same jobs we've been all doing for years. So when people you know start calling you a hero, it's I can think it can be embarrassing. <laughs> we weren't. I don't think I wasn't a hero by any stretch. I was scared. I didn't know what we were going into, and I knew I was going to be on the front lines of it, but by no means did I think I was a hero by just doing my job. Um, but you always have to um, be appreciative of where it's coming from. Uh, people are so well-intentioned in praising us and telling us we're doing a good job, so I think you need to recognize that. I need to recognize that, and it was very humbling and appreciative. I was appreciative of it, but it was very embarrassing at times. <laughs> to know we were getting discounts just for being healthcare workers so kind incredibly kind but yeah it was it was embarrassing um you you mentioned that um it was it was scary because like you said you were on the you were on the front lines um can you take me back to maybe those first three or four weeks when when things all of a sudden hit in saskatoon and you're you're going out and you're doing your job but like you said like i think we were all in the same boat in terms of trying to figure out what was going on um so what what did you have to fall back on in, in order to to feel safe and secure when doing your, when doing your job? I think it came down to falling back on people that you trusted that were in positions to make big decisions. Um, we had a team of people here making decisions based on recommendations about PPE, so our personal protective equipment, and it changed so quickly and, and so many times that if you just kind of got caught up in the fact that it was changing so quickly, it was very stressful. But if you could find people that you trusted there were two people here specifically Ryan and Ange that I trust a hundred percent and I remember pulling up to an apartment building um, it was a patient in her 80s who was COVID positive and this would have been back in March this is the first COVID positive patient I'd be transporting and her family doctor had arranged for her to be brought into hospital so we were sitting outside her apartment building knowing that we were just gonna be wearing the procedure masks we weren't entirely sure if N95s were needed. They were saying they weren't. We felt kind of ill-equipped, uh, worried about it, not knowing what we're walking into. And so I just phoned Ryan <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm scared. I am going into this apartment for the first time for a patient with COVID. I don't feel safe with just this procedure mask on. And so he gave me, he gave me some facts that he knew that procedure masks were enough. And then he reminded me that we do have access to N95s. If I don't feel safe, put an N95 on this time and explain it if, if I was questioned. And so that's what we did. <laughs> and in hindsight, it was uh, unnecessary. Um, management never questioned it, which they, I don't think ever would have. So it was like just finding those supports and facts and someone who you can talk to about it was really important for me. That's such an interesting story because all of a sudden you're you're right there in front of the apartment and it's it's really happening. It's real. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting because we had probably um, the province had closed down mid March and this was probably end of March, so we knew about COVID. We knew it was serious. the The province had locked us down. It seemed like I knew how real it was, but I didn't until I was sitting outside that apartment building. So. How has, um, how, I guess, has your comfort level increased as, as you've gone to 
more of those apartment buildings or, or more of those calls? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we really see how well the PPE works and that there's so few cases, I don't know the number, but of patient of transmission from patient to paramedic with appropriate PPE on. We're going to have breaches in PPE and even then we're not seeing cases. So we know that it's working and we know that the precautions we're taking and the cleaning supplies we're using, everything is working. So my level of, of stress has decreased and I very much trust what they tell me to wear for PPE. And I've been in some situations like uh, intubating somebody in the north um, in a small community who's COVID positive. And again, I put the right PPE on that I've been told to and I was safe. It, it, it was months ago. It was not passed on to me. So I think like every time you see that is a little um, check mark towards that confidence that you're gaining in your PPE and your practices. That, that must be that must be confidence building when, when you can go through it and then on the other side think, okay, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And then I, that must feel good knowing that, okay, I'm going into the next one knowing, yeah, it just sort of builds up that confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This worked last time. It's going to work again this time. Yeah. Cause you could really get caught up in uh, dealing with a COVID positive patient and really being involved. Like an intubation is putting a breathing tube in and it creates a lot of risk in transmission. So in, uh, in doing that and being safe really created that, yeah, created that confidence. So when you are, Jen, when you're, um, when you have, um, you know, someone in, in like we are now in, in the back of the, of your ambulance, and then you're taking them to hospital, um, what, and this may be a really stupid question, but like, how, how does it, how does it work, especially in, in today's sort of world that we're in to get the patient out of the ambulance safely into the hospital like how how involved are you are you with that uh, I think some of it's still the same except that now we'll when we drive into the garage at RUH or up to or city hospital or up to St. Paul's doors um, there's an area now at St. Paul's where we go into and stay there for them to um, assess the patient's COVID screening so whether there's any symptoms that might be COVID um, whereas we didn't before, we just went right in. Uh, at RUH and City, you're in the garage, the nurse comes out, the triage nurse comes out and chats with your patient and you to determine again a, a COVID screening, yes or no, kind of positive or negative. And then pretty much everything else is the same. It's just now they're triaging based on they may have a COVID, somebody who screens COVID positive, which means they've just got symptoms that could be COVID. So then they'll, <clears throat> they'll just place them in a different place. They'll triage them a bit different for where they're placing them in the hospital. There's but so otherwise the systems are pretty much the same. Okay. It, it just seems like there's so many more steps now. There is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when it's interesting, when uh, this all kind of started, the um, hospitals, again, like I said, they made so much room, you know, things shifted. People were not going to emergency as much. People weren't calling 911 and we suddenly had room in hospitals. And so it was a much easier process. The nurse came out, gave you, assigned you a bed and you went in, but we're kind of back to what we've been to for years where there's, the hospitals are backed up. The emergency departments feel that, that backlog. They're busy, they're full, and they don't have room for EMS patients unless they're critical. So we end up in that delayed uh, in the hospital pattern again. So that creates some, some issues if they're patient is screening positive then it creates some issues about where you're going to hold that patient in a hallway at the hospital when they've screened positive for covid so 
that it just added a little little more stress and a little more work for everyone I, I was just about to ask from from your perspective Jen like when when you're when you show up to the hospital and then it's it's not it's not instant like there there's that there's that waiting um and like you said too like that's that's nothing really new like is that how does that make you feel it's frustrating <laughs> it's such a big picture like I guess we can't really get too frustrated about it during COVID times it's always been a problem we went into COVID in with poor um I don't know with with full hospitals not enough room for this growing city growing patients aging population so you know we did see that little bit of time where we had room for people which was really lovely and I wish that's how healthcare systems worked in Canada but it's not so we're back to where we're we're hours in the hallway waiting for an eMERGE bed and eMERGE is, is backlogged from again the no room upstairs in the wards and so I I wanted to ask you too um so we're we're recording this um at near the end of Feb or what February 18th 17th today or even or even no 17th that's right um but we we've just been through such a really cold snap of weather too and I I'm just curious Jen like when you were like have you been have you been seeing calls in terms of maybe people in vulnerable situations with you know dealing with with the cold weather definitely yeah it's heartbreaking um we we had a, a gentleman who called us who was you know at uh, comfy they've got a warm-up shack and he was in that warm-up shack and just needed needed a ride somewhere more so and we just ended up being called we normally wouldn't but it's so heartbreaking to hear his whole story of how he just wants to get downtown and he's on 20th and M and Comfy's not a, a, not able to provide the services that they've always provided because of COVID. So not only are the systems really difficult for him to access, but now they're so restricted due to COVID that he's even more, he's struggling even more just to get downtown to, you know, find a warm place to stay or some food or get to the Friendship Inn. So. When you, when you do pick up um, patients, people like, like that in those situations, do you, um, like, do you, like, do you ask, like, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what's your story? How are you doing? Like, what, what are those conversations like from your end? I like to ask. Some people don't like to talk about their situation and that's okay too. Um, because I think sometimes we can help. We're not always able to, but sometimes we can just call someone who can help like crisis or even if city police need to be involved or you know the lighthouse or if we can get crisis to cover a taxi to get this person to somewhere warm it's not really our job but if you know if it time allows and emergency calls allow we can probably help this person a little bit it's very temporary but yeah i find in covid times maybe some just need a little bit more help than than they did prior and more so just the services aren't aren't able to provide what they've provided in pre-COVID. Um, one of the services I was so curious to ask you about too, so we've covered a little bit in terms of your, your work with the ambulance, which we're in the back of right now, um, but you also, um, and I, I feel privileged to have heard some of your stories about the work that, that you do um, when you're 30,000 feet above <laughs> above the ground. Can you, Jen, can you just talk a little bit about um, your, your work um, up, up in the air with airplanes like I, I just find this so fascinating it is it's so fun I feel so privileged to be a part of air ambulance the Saskatchewan air ambulance we um we have two 
full um, fully staffed planes in the in Saskatoon here that provide medevac service to the pro whole province. Um, so yeah, we're dispatched anywhere. It's so interesting because we'll go as far as Stony Rapids, which is in Saskatchewan, but it's a nearly two-hour flight. And to Edmonton is a one-hour flight for us. <laughs> so it's so crazy how vast this province is and you don't... I didn't realize it personally until we started flying to some of these places in, in northern Saskatchewan. Um, but we also service the southern part of Saskatchewan as well. We do things like transports from um, maybe Swift Current into Regina or Swift Current to Saskatoon, uh, Estevan, Weyburn into Regina. So we're flying kind of all over the province wherever they need us. And I kind of share that duty with STARS as well. STARS um, has helicopters in um, Saskatoon and Regina, so with one crew in each. Um, they're a bit more limited in their how far they can fly without fuel stops. So there's a transport physician who makes that decision and which medevac service is best for the patient and where they are and where they need to be. So it's exciting though. It's fun. It's different. It's, it's like a whole subset of skills and abilities to provide care. So what skills and abilities do you need that's specific to air ambulance? Um, air ambulance is actually critical care. So I did need to, we all, uh, all the paramedics that work out there and the flight nurses that work with us, we work in a um, paramedic RN team. Uh, we all need to do a critical care course. So then we're able to run ventilators and run a bit more infusions when the patients are really critical, which we don't do as much of on the, in the ambulance. We don't have ventilators in the ambulance um, and we don't run as many drugs. There's different drugs that we can run as critical care. Um, but yeah, both STARS and Air Ambulance staff are all critical care trained, so. Um, so what, I'm, I'm, cause I, I feel, I do feel privileged that you've, you've told me some stories. And so I'm, I'm like, are there, Jen, are there a few maybe in, and especially, and it could be during, you know, COVID times or it could be before COVID times, but are, are there a couple stories that sort of stand out to you in terms of like how, um, maybe like not only challenging, but also rewarding yes. that, that job is. It's so funny knowing that we were going to be doing this podcast in the last 10 days or so. I've done a few shifts up at Air Ambulance and two specific trips just in these last 10 days stood out to me. One, and I'll try to make them quick. <laughs> one, we got lots of time. Okay. Uh, one was um, a very critical patient who was in the intensive care unit here in the city and he needed to go to U of A in Edmonton. So the logistics of that and the number of people involved, the teams involved, the care involved, are just, it's mind blowing. So we arrived at the intensive care unit to kind of get him packaged onto our stretcher, get all of his infusions moved over to our pumps, get him moved onto our ventilator, and then he deteriorated. So all the teams that are working with him in the intensive care unit continue to try to stabilize him. So that's cardiology, it's um, a perfusionist, an RT, all the nurses, they're now working to stabilize him enough for us to get him out to the plane. So this trip, and then once we get him to the plane, once we get him out to the hangar here, our base is at near the airport, we have to find a safe way to get him from the ambulance into the plane. Then we take off and it's about an hour and a bit to Edmonton. I, I just want to stop you there though, because like you said, okay, safe way to, you know, ambulance to the airplane and then we're taking off. But that getting from the ambulance to the airplane is a lot of work isn't it can be yeah if it's a basic patient who doesn't need much we have a system that works really well when it's one of these complicated patients who have a lot of things that we need to bring with us it's a lot it's a lot of coordination a lot of teamwork 
So we got him into the plane, flew to Edmonton, and then did it all again because we're out in um, Leduc and need to get him into an ambulance in their hangar and then drive into U of A in the ambulance. It, that was a 14-hour trip to get this gentleman to the U of A. 14 <laughs> hours? Yeah, we spent a lot of time in ICU initially, and then it's about two hours on each end to just get him, again, ambulance to plane and get everything ready to go and then driving in the 30 or so minutes into U of A. So it was so, it's rewarding, but you have to stay humble in that you're a very small part of a massive team of people getting this man to, and it's so great to see our healthcare system is able to get this very sick man to Edmonton for what he needs, something that can't be done in Saskatoon, so. So when, when you say goodbye to the gentleman at the U of A, what was going through your mind? Um, he wouldn't know what was happening because he was sedated and intubated, but it was like, we did it. It was, I talked to my partner about it and we both felt it was very rewarding to be that small part of this amazing team that, that made this happen. And he was safe and yeah, he was still, I don't, I don't know what his outcome will be, but we did the best we could to get him to Edmonton for them to care for. So yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Are, are you... Are you exhausted or are, is there adrenaline just like going, going through your veins and you're just, you're still on a high? Like, how do you physically feel? I think we were exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> we were all exhausted. I think you don't have as much adrenaline after so many years of doing this job. You just, um, you just have to be on, you have to be thinking, you have to be planning, especially in a team dynamic like that. So when it's done and you drop that patient off, it's just, it was exhausting. We were all exhausted, especially after 14 hours. We still had an hour flight to get back here and, and then, yeah, it was, and it was a night shift. So it was like a 7 p.m. to 9 a.m. to get him there. So, <laughs> yeah, we were all pretty exhausted. Um, you know, I've, I've been on small planes before in my life and sometimes they can be sort of bumpy. What, was that something like when you first started doing this, Jen, just being up in the air and you're, you're providing this critical care, but then you're also like in an airplane and there's a whole host of things that come with that. What, what was the, did that take some getting used to? It did definitely. Yeah. I was an anxious flyer, <laughs> but I signed up for it anyway. <laughs> so the first few were, were a struggle a bit for me. Um, we do have the opportunity to listen to the pilots. Um, so we can put a headset on and that is calming. <laughs> I must say when you hear them talking calmly, it, it makes you calm even if you're in turbulence or you know you're not sure what's what we're doing or you know if we um, go to land and we they miss for any reason weather usually then they'll just um, pick back up and we'll we'll make decisions once they're back up at a certain altitude and that's scary if you don't know what's happening so you just throw that headset on and listen and that that becomes more calming <laughs> um you, you said you had one more story because yes. I, I just love hearing these stories <laughs> So about five days later, uh, I was back out at air ambulance for a shift and we went to a small northern community for a patient and she was short of breath. So it was a very basic call, but a patient like that can deteriorate. So they will send a critical care team. So we were sent and we turned on a little oxygen for her. And literally the only thing she needed for the hour and 10 minute flight from northern Saskatchewan was to hold my hand. <laughs> adorable and she would hold it and if I had to do something I would take my hand away and do what I needed to do and come back and her hand would be open on my lap waiting <laughs> it was like I've 
yeah, it was humbling again. Um, it was so sweet and she needed it and I can provide that. I don't need any critical care training. <laughs> but it was the vast difference of what those two patients needed that was so interesting to me in a matter of 10 days. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I, you know, I was so excited to, to speak with you. Um, and, and one of the things that sort of hit me was I, I I, I don't often have the opportunity to speak with someone who um, is involved with with saving people's lives, um, and I and I don't want to make you uncomfortable with it because <laughs> you've you've stated how you get embarrassed about that, and I and I, I I can appreciate that. But like you you are and and as you said too, you've part of, you're part of the team that does that. But um, do you do you ever sort of stand back, Jen, and just think, okay, I'm I'm part of this team that and I'm I'm part of the effort that is saving lives <laughs> I th I do and I think we need to do that once in a while but not let it kind of go to your head um it could all why do you need to need to not let it go to my head or, or why do you need to step back though like and yeah. it's to appreciate what we're doing yeah I think I love my job and I think it uh, that makes a difference in just stepping back and saying you know I was part of, I have done what I needed to do to get to a place in my life to be part of that team. And I really need to appreciate that. I need to appreciate what I've done, the work I've put in and where I'm, where, the opportunities I've, I've gotten and then kind of let it go. So you stay humble, but you stay appreciative of, of I stay appreciative of where I am and who I am and what I'm able to do. There was, it's so interesting. Um, I'm, been working with Andrew Barclay. I just a shameless plug. <laughs> he does life coaching, kind of, um, yeah, consulting. And he gave me some advice once about um, letting things like compliments or, you know, yeah, compliments is a big one, um, or gratitude towards anybody who shows gratitude towards me. Um, just letting that go at the end of the day, really appreciating it, appreciating where it came from, and then letting it go. And man, that's, I think that's such a big part of, it needs to be a big part of what I do every day. I need to appreciate that others appreciate what I'm doing, but I need to let that go and just keep doing my job and keep learning and, and working hard. What, what would happen, Jen, if you didn't let it go? I worry that I'd get either complacent in my job and maybe not keep up on, uh, on things that are changing or I might get arrogant. And uh, I don't know, my, you could, I could have a treatment plan go really wrong if I let arrogance creep in there. If I think I know what I'm doing and I haven't really, really thought about what needs to be done. And I don't know that, just not, I think the biggest thing for me is not letting arrogance creep in. Because you can get a lot of really uh, great things said about the work we do. And you, you've been wonderful about that too, telling me that you're, you're um, appreciative of what we do in, in saving lives. And it happens. Um, but I think if you, if I allow that to be why I do this or, you know, get wrapped up in kind of that, yeah, that life-saving mentality, I would worry about the job I'm doing then. You have to keep some humility. Yeah. You're listening to Episode 7, Season 3 of YXE Underground. I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and my guest is Jen Rondeau. 
You can subscribe for free to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stream episodes on Spotify or the website yxeunderground.com. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to give a five-star review. Follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and that's where you'll see some lovely photos of Jen taken by Saskatoon photographer Molly Shikoski. A big thanks to City Perks Coffee House and Sparrow Coffee in Saskatoon for supporting this episode. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. You heard Jen mention in the first part of our conversation the roller coaster she felt when it came to how the public perceived healthcare workers. A few days after we spoke, Jen asked if she could expand on that point. So I met her at her yoga studio. A really drastic low that I felt was as we progressed through, that's when you kind of started to see the conspiracy theorists, the um, you know, the anti-mask protests, and then it really started to hit home when family members started to not believe, even me. Um, I saw that myself and then in talking to other co-workers and friends they all kind of many of them were going through the same experience of uh, family friends neighbors not believing what they were saying not believing in COVID not believing the seriousness of it um, kind of fighting back so you kind of went from that hero to not being trusted or believed by some people and that was a big drastic low I found in the pandemic. It was, it's frustrating. You always have to try to figure out where that person's coming from in their beliefs. And this is scary for all of us. And I think some of us just move to a place of disbelief. But at some point, it's just really hard to accept when your own family doesn't believe what you're saying. And I mean, we can only say so much uh, due to privacy, but you try to tell them as much as you can, and then they don't believe you. So it, it definitely was tough. It's been hard for Jen to get off that roller coaster, but there is a place where she can, for the most part, find some peace and stillness in her life. With that, we will come to standing. Move your props out of the way and come to the front of your mat. So feet together, again, that nice tall spine and uh, pelvis is neutral and we're gonna find that engagement again. So no matter where you are, seated, standing, uh, plank, laying down, you want to find that engagement in the core. So again, drawing in that low abdomen, creating Jen opened Ivy Yoga House in November of 2019 with a clear vision a to run a truly inclusive so yoga studio. It wouldn't matter if you were an expert or Exhale, if you're like me, roll. you struggle to get your heels to the ground during downward dog. Inhale, Everyone would be welcome. That vision appealed to Adrian Van Gool. You just feel safe when you go there. And I think a lot of places when you're going for the first time, especially at a yoga studio, there's a lot of um, barriers to going, but also there's a lot of um, you know internal insecurities that might be there for somebody going to a yoga studio for the first time. Or I don't know, I still get it if I go somewhere new. You know, you feel a little bit apprehensive, and it's just it feels safe. She's so grounding, and the community has really, I think, responded to that. I've seen firsthand the sense of community Jen has created with Ivy Yoga House. I've been practicing there since last August, and I'm just in awe of how Jen has built such a welcoming and inclusive space. In the final part of our conversation, Jen explains her vision of the studio, 
how COVID has forced her to change her business plan a time or two, and whether she's able to truly quiet her mind when she's teaching a class. I started by asking Jen how she first became interested in yoga. I started practicing, honestly, for the physical benefits of it, not really knowing what the big picture of yoga was. And, and that's, a, in my opinion, a fine reason to start doing yoga. Uh, and then I started realizing like the calming effects of it, the breath work, the, you know, the small things that were coming from practicing yoga. Um, and so, yeah, I decided to do my teacher training just to improve my own practice. And then I started thinking I can build a space where people who maybe don't know much about yoga or are doing it for the physical benefits could come in and feel comfortable and then um, learn what yoga is, what, what kind of benefits you can reap from yoga so that's why I started the business um I had I feel like I grossly underestimated the community that a person builds when they open a yoga studio <laughs> it is amazing I would have done this 10 years ago I think if I knew what I would gain personally and the community that would be created the relationship I would develop with members and instructors oh my goodness the in instructors at Ivy I just have to brag they're wonderful <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think I initially got into it knowing that it helped me stay calm and grounded. And I love that I'm now running a studio because of the community as well. Okay, so I, I'm so glad you mentioned <laughs> community there because I, I, I've i practiced yoga at several different studios when I was living in Regina and then here in Saskatoon. Um, and I started going to your studio um, in the summertime when you once you reopened. And I and immediately you just feel this wave of of community. And I'm someone who um, I I love doing it, but I'm not very good at it. And sometimes I feel self-conscious about that. And yet, as soon as you walk into your your studio, the, everyone's just there to like you're all sort of pulling in the same direction. How you know? And and in a lot of ways, this podcast is about community. And I, and I'm I'm so curious. Like, how did you go about creating that sense of community? Some of it came by luck. Because like I said, when I opened the studio, I had no idea of the community I would build. And um, so it's just really incredible members. Like I had a plan and I had a vision that we would welcome everyone, no matter what your level of yoga or your knowledge of yoga would be. And the instructors all really picked up on that without me having to really say much. They knew that that was what we wanted to do at the studio. And as a team, we've all done it. So that was huge. I mean, once somebody walks in and the whole team makes you feel comfortable that's pretty amazing so I, I guess I didn't go into it with that in I, I sort of went into it with that intention but wasn't entirely sure how I was going to create that and then it all pieced together with just a, an amazing group of instructors and then these members that keep coming and they're so friendly and they want to be there for all different reasons and they appreciate people uh, all of us welcoming them and it, it just like snowballed from there I started hearing compliments like that of people who felt welcome when they came in it was like okay we're doing something right this is this was my plan in the beginning so we've just plugged along that way and oh it's so like <laughs> it just makes my heart grow hearing those things hearing anyone tell me that they felt comfortable coming into Ivy Yoga House yeah when, when you said that you you had a plan do you remember like what that sort of original plan was and, and how you were going to execute it in terms of like creating that community I remember having the plan it and I do have a business plan and when I read back on it, it it does speak to that like all of my the whole mission of my business speaks to that 
I didn't really have steps set out. Like I really, when I look back, had no idea how I was going to get a team of, you know, eight to 11 instructors to go along with that. Like, what was I going to say to them? How was I going to communicate this to them? And I really haven't had to. We've just all, we all, I think almost all of us started when the studio opened. And so it's the same core group. And we've just all built on, I guess, a message that I initially got out somehow. And then we all just built on it. What was the message? To be very inclusive, to not let anyone feel like they shouldn't be here. Um, I remember doing training with Bernie Clark and he said, you know, you, you should have an intention for going to yoga, but every intention should be respected. So if that intention is physical benefits, breath, relaxation, just to get out of the house, that's your intention and it should be respected. And so I didn't want anyone to feel shamed because they were only coming for one small benefit of yoga when there's a whole subset of benefits to it. Um, you know what, one of the, one of the benefits for me anyways is, is it helps me just to like the breathing just helps me to calm down. Um, but you're also, you're running a business in the, in the midst of a <laughs> pandemic. So what, what has, what has that been like? Cause it's, it's, um, you know, you're, and we were talking before about, um, you know, things were changing with your job here, um, with ambulance in terms of PPE and stuff, but things change with small businesses too. Like what has that been like, Jen? To me, it's, it's the same kind of conversation that we had about the very drastic highs and lows of, you know, life of this job as a paramedic all came with owning a small business as well during a pandemic. There were some really big highs and some really big lows. Um, we initially started out great. We had good, um, numbers when we opened in November of 2019 and when the, um, pandemic hit in March, to me, it seemed like there was going to be sufficient funding or help for businesses that I was going to be okay. And we got shut down. And then I just slowly as a new business wasn't qualifying for anything. And so again, it was that high of we're going to get through this. It's going to be short term, I'm going to have help to I don't have any help. I'm scared. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what's going to happen to my business to then getting a few more, um, approvals, a little bit of help reopening, being busy, having that community again, support me. And, um, and then another high was that everyone is so, um, forgiving right now. So I changed the schedule and I've we've had to close twice now and I've changed the schedule both times and members seem very forgiving of that. So I don't know that they would have been if I was just a business that opened and plugged along and then drastically changed schedule a couple times. People might not have been as forgiving in a situation that isn't a pandemic. Whereas I can now make changes. I know I'll have the support of my instructors and the community because it's COVID because this is really hard. <laughs> so that was good. I, I, can I just add though too, I, I think people would be forgiving because of the, even if it wasn't the, the pandemic, I think people will be forgiving because of that trust and that community that you've, that you've helped to create at your studio. I don't know. That's just, that's just my, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Now knowing the community we've built, yeah. there's just an amazing group of individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you too about like, so when, when you're going through some of the lows as a small business owner, then, um, were, were resources available like, to you in terms of like, just figuring out like what, what to apply for, what to do. Like, was that, that must've been hard at times. 
it was in a way the government was really good to you could sign up for notifications so anytime anything new came out you got an email and you even got an we would i would get an email a week before saying that this is coming and then when it did get released this is now available so i feel like i was able to keep up to date with with stuff pretty easily uh the provincial government has uh an email and a phone number set up where you can call as a small business to find out what their opinion is if the um restrictions are vague and I find they have been incredibly helpful in giving me answers. We many of us have reached out about restrictions that we feel are arbitrary or unnecessary and we don't really it's it's not it's a losing battle. So in finding out new information I found it really easy. In trying to get change in areas that don't make sense to us, it's impossible. Is there an example pertaining to your yoga studio where maybe something doesn't make sense that you would just like to to ask more about? The um, cap of eight people per class is, is to me, arbitrary and, and unnecessary. It doesn't... So every restriction that you see um, for small business... Or like um, retail, small retail, large retail, restaurants... Um, I believe bingo halls, I'm not sure, but they seem to all be based on um, capacity or square footage. But uh, the government has restricted fitness centers, including yoga studios, gyms, Pilates, to eight people. So I have 2,000 square feet and I can only put eight. Uh, our neighbors at CrossFit, Ashlar, have 6,000 square feet and they can have eight people. It seems arbitrary. It doesn't seem we've all got masks on. We've all got space mapped out for each individual person. No one's crossing into other people's areas. So I'm not sure where that eight came from. So we've all been fighting quite a bit. Even just to have it up to 10 or 12 would allow us to maybe break even. But nothing's happening. It seems like it's falling on deaf ears. Um, have there been have, have have there been times for you, Jen, where, um, like you mentioned, breaking even, um, you know, you, you have this very busy, you know, day, I don't want to say day job because it's, it's day, night or whatever, but with, as an, as an EMT with, with ambulance and with air ambulance, and then, you know, have, have there been times where you've thought to yourself, like, is, is this, is this worth it with the yoga studio? I haven't. I have always plugged along <laughs> knowing that I'm going to get through this. Um, I knew starting it that I would have X number of years that I would have this business paid off and so in my mind I just keep thinking I may have added another year and that's all I keep thinking is that's okay I've got one more year of debt to pay off when I get through this pandemic because I have lost in this in this time which it, also I did expect to lose in my first year of business I didn't expect to break even it's a tough it's tough a, a brick and mortar business is you might not make money your first year you might not break even your first year so to know that I'm heading into some debt is okay. I've never at any time thought, I don't want to do this. Yeah, so there's always... And I've made my schedules in a way that I'm not going to burn out either. So no matter how stressful each of them may get at times, I have the time to recover. I have full access to yoga, <laughs> to amazing instructors. And so there's never been a time where I think, I can't do this anymore. When you are leading a class... Um, is, is it a time for you to, like, are you, the, are you there in the moment? Is it a time just for, for you? Or are you thinking of all the other things? Are you thinking about the 14 hour trip to, to Edmonton and, and like all, all that stuff? Or, or can you be in the moment? It's interesting. Um, 
years ago when people, when I'd go to the yoga and not really know much about it, I would hear the instructors say to be present and stay present. And I never knew what that meant. It kind of frustrated me. Like, I'm here, I'm present. But I'm starting to learn, and I've had a lot of tips from the instructors that we have at the studio about being present. I'm not someone who can just shut my thoughts off. It's really difficult, and there's a lot to think about. So I've kind of tried to find a way where I'm in the moment in that the class that I'm teaching is my priority, but in quiet times, I can still think about different things, still stay with the class, still hold that space for the people in the class. But I can, you know, think of, I mean, it can be a time to be creative. It can be a time to plan a little. Um, and, you know, just that is how I stay present now. So there are still some rambling thoughts about a busy shift or a busy stretch of shifts coming up or what am I going to do about this business decision? But I try not to let them get a hold of me when I'm teaching a class. Um, one of the first things I I noticed when I first started to come to the yoga studio was that um, more often than not, you're there at the front door and you greet everybody. Why is that important? Uh, I just want to meet everyone. <laughs> everyone. So I feel like by them, as soon as they step in that door, they've supported me. So I feel like it's important for me to say hi and show them who they're supporting. Because I've always appreciated that in businesses I've gone into. Man, if you can see the owner, the, where this is all going towards, or who has created this space and meet them and know who they are, that was important to me. So I want to be that that person as well. Uh, <laughs> in the beginning, it was I was there a little too much, and the instructors were finding they weren't meeting the people coming into their classes because I was there all the time. So I had to find a healthy balance. <laughs> So I try not to be there for every class, but I just love being there. <laughs> it's not work, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, one of your one of your colleagues is just backing up. I don't know where they're going. I don't I don't know where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, that no. <laughs> that maybe you know that sort of segues into into one question too. Um, and you've been Jen, you've been very. You've been very generous with your time, um, but um, at at the end at the end of a long day, uh, whether it's it's here um, or whether you're up in the air or whether you're at your yoga studio, um, who do you, who do you go home to? Who's waiting for you at home? <laughs> My dog Bo. <laughs> He's a pit bull cross. He's four years old, and I just love him so much. He. He doesn't mind 14-hour days at home by himself or nights by himself. He does really well. He doesn't wreck anything. He's got the run of the house. He sleeps on the couch or my bed, and he's always there to greet me. Lately, I bought a really comfortable couch or a chair that I put in my living room, and now sometimes he doesn't get up and greet me. He just stays in the chair. <laughs> but And then I have two cats as well. So I just have this zoo that I get to go home to that want to cuddle and... Yeah, <laughs> but is that is that important for you to, yes. to have? Yeah, to have yeah. that waiting for you. Yeah, <laughs> very important. Yeah, it's like the no stress, full of love, unconditional love. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, Jen, I, I can't thank you enough for um, for agreeing to to not only be on the podcast, but um, I'll try not to pump up your tires too much in terms of because I know how that makes you feel now. Um, but I, I really do think the the work that you do is is just so important and you do it with such i i think um you have such a good heart and i really admire that about you and i think personally too um your your studio has 
um, helped me um, through this pandemic year. So I just wanted to thank you. Well, thank you so much, Eric. You are a bright light when you come in that door. I just love being there when you're there. And I appreciate all the kind words you've said about myself and the service we provide and my fellow co-workers as well as the instructors and at the studio. So thank you so much. And thank you for what you do in this podcast. I, I'm usually an exhausted light after the, after a yoga class, especially if it's on hips. <laughs> thanks, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> my thanks to Jen Rondeau for appearing on the podcast and for being so open and honest. If you're interested in her yoga studio, be sure to visit ivyyogahouse.com. This has been Episode 7, Season 3 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local podcast. Subscribe for free to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. You can also stream episodes on Spotify or the website yxeunderground.com. And don't forget to leave a review. Follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and that's where you'll find some lovely photos of Jen taken by local photographer Molly Shikoski. Molly, thank you so much. You are just such a, a wonderful person to work with, and your photos are absolutely amazing, so thank you. Thank you to the team at Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for managing the website, and thank you to my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating the opening and closing themes for the podcast. A big thank you to Cora Lee and the teams at City Perks Coffee House and Sparrow Coffee for supporting the podcast. These are two of my favorite spaces in the city, not to mention the food and drinks are just so darn good. I had the uh, the mini egg cheesecake from City Perks last week. Oh gosh, it was so good. My wife can back me up on that too because she had some of it. So yes, Coralie, thank you for believing in the podcast and supporting this episode. And we'll be doing a really sweet giveaway on Instagram soon, so be on the lookout for that. Next month, we take you inside the Ronald McDonald House and meet the organization's amazing team. Uh, I had the pleasure of spending a morning with the Ronald McDonald House team. You're going to love this episode. It's just an absolutely fantastic, amazing, and caring organization. And uh, yeah, there was a, a couple times where, um, yeah, I came close to tears. Um, it's a it's a really special place. So I can't wait to share that episode with you. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon. <laughs>